they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 23rd of April. Happy Easter. We're still celebrating the season of Easter. The Lord has risen. He has truly risen. Truly risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we are an Easter people. Hallelujah is our song. So we want to look today at John 6. <laughs> Why would I choose that? My well, Lord. because that's what the readings all week long. All week long, the church has given us this to look at and, and to meditate mm -hmm. on and to um, come to understand more fully what, what the Lord is telling us here. I did want to make a brief commentary on the first reading, though. We are also reading the Acts of the Apostles during this Easter season. We get to read the history of the church as it was recorded by um, Luke, the evangelist, who was the secretary for St. Paul and accompanied him on his, some of his missionary journeys. And so um, in, this, in the Acts is, is the story for today's reading is the story of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Oh, and, and I just love the story. And it, it, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's very lengthy. But I, I encourage everyone, if you haven't been to Mass today, please do read this, Acts 9, 1 through 20. And what happens is after, you know, Paul is, he's, he's knocked down to the ground. He's blind. He hears Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. So you're persecuting. Well, what do you mean? I'm Jesus. You're persecuting. I'm persecuting the people who are, you know, not worshiping God properly, you know? And, and then he tells him, he says, go into Damascus and um, you'll be told what to do. And so now, the, the men with him, they, they heard something. They heard a, a sound. They didn't really comprehend it, but they couldn't see anyone, so they're dumbfounded, you know? So they lead Paul into the city, and Paul is blind for three days, and, and he's fasting, and he's praying. He's a prayerful man. He's a godly man. Paul is only trying to do God's will, and yet he's persecuting the church established by Jesus Christ to the point of dragging people out of their homes and throwing them in prison, men, women, and children. So... He's there in Damascus, and he's praying, and he's fasting, and the Lord appears to a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and he tells him, he said, I want you to go to Straight Street, and I want you to, to um, baptize Paul of Tarsus. And Ananias said, wait a minute, Lord, wait a minute, Lord, haven't you heard, Lord, don't you know who this man is? How many times, do you, it's actually what Father Glenn has pointed out, in the scriptures, there's a lot of irony and a lot of humor. Mm -hmm. Isn't it, and here's this, this is, a, again, a, a godly man, a prayerful man, and he's telling God, don't you know who this guy is? He's here in Damascus with letters from the, the chief priest to arrest us and put us in prison. Yeah. What do you mean you want me to go see him? <laughs> Sorry, so he can arrest me? Yeah, really. <laughs> and, and Jesus says, Ananias, it's okay. You know, I mean, he doesn't say it that way, but he said, he said, no, I've chosen Paul. I've chosen this man to be my instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Ananias goes and he prays over Paul and Paul, the scales fall from Paul's eyes. He's able to see. And after he takes some nourishment, you know, he, he, he's strengthened because he'd been fasting for three days. And then, um, then he starts preaching Jesus, the Christ, as the son of God. You know, this, this man who, you know, a week earlier was um, breathing murderous threats against Christians and arresting them and was actually on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and now he's a Christian. Wow. Jesus Christ appeared to him. It can and happen. It can happen. And that's it. We pray for the conversion of sinners. And we're all sinners. You know, earlier, for those who didn't hear it, Father Charles Murr told the story of the general from Mexico yeah. who lived a decadent life. Yeah. And on his deathbed, 
a wife and eight children had been praying for 60 years yeah. for his conversion. Right. And he converted. Yeah, and he converted on his. He was. He was. So I, so I give people yeah. hope about their husband, their wife, their son, right. their daughter. Never give up. Never, 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 never give up. Never, 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 Best never give up. Want. His so, shortest speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the midst of World War II. Right. And, and the thing is, that's it. We can't give up, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how dark it looks. Yeah. We need to trust in the Lord and go forward. So, go moving on here to John six. We're, this was Friday. This is Friday of the third week of Easter. Mm-hmm. And we are at John 6, verses 52 through 59. And the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the loving Father sent me. And I have life because of the Father. So also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, Whoever eats this bread will live forever. These things he said while teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. Wow. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is telling the Jews that they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Yeah. And they're murmuring among, you know, how? How can this be? He can't. How, that's cannibalism. Remember, the Jews were forbidden to eat blood. They were forbidden to eat meat with its, its lifeblood still in it. How can you give us your flesh and blood to eat? Well, of course, and he's not speaking figuratively or symbolically, but he's, he's speaking on a level that we don't comprehend and grasp on the surface, okay? Jesus isn't going to give us his flesh that we're supposed to gnaw on his body as it appeared as he was walking on earth so that we're being cannibals. He gives us his risen, ascended, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity mm-hmm. under the appearance of bread. That's right. Well, you know, say, well, okay, Jesus at the Last Supper will say over the bread and the wine, this is my body, this is my blood. Um, so what? That, what difference does that make, right? Well, as Bishop Sheen pointed out, did Jesus have power over the elements? Well, did he calm the storm? Oh, yeah. Did he walk on water? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, it was, it, did he have the power to take five loaves and two fish on one occasion and four loaves on another occasion and feed thousands of people? Yes, he could work miracles. He had power over nature. And so, and it's funny, there was a saint who, as a little girl, her, her father, you know, her, her father was very devout and she was a very saintly girl. And I can't remember which saint it is, but someone will remember and they'll remind me. Um, and this man was speaking to uh, her father, and this man was an atheist, and he was kind of making fun of uh, the the idea of the Eucharist, and and that you know Jesus, you know this how could how could he possibly give us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink, and you know, and she was hearing this conversation, and and so this man he pulls a a, a string of pearls out mm. of out of his pocket. He's trying to corrupt the faith of this child. Right. And he hands her this string of pearls. Oh, look at these beautiful mm-hmm. pearls. And what a nice man. I, you know, and he's, he's not saying all these things, but what a nice man I am to give you these pearls. And isn't that lovely? And don't you want to listen to what I have to say? 
And it was interesting because she'd been instructed by her parents. Mm -hmm. And she took the pearls. And she, this was a child. I think she was five years old. She threw them in the fire. And she said, may thus happen to anyone who rejects the word of God. Wow. Jesus Christ is God. Amazing. And so when he speaks the word, it happens. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the Gospel of John, it says, God created all, th- all things through him and for him. And, and apart from him, nothing came to be that is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and he was God. And through him, all things came to be. And so when God speaks his word, it happens. And this is what we need to teach our children. When God speaks his word, it's that simple. When God speaks his word, it happens. Yeah. God is God, and we are not. And he is almighty and he does have power over nature. He created it and he has power over the elements. He created them. And so when Jesus says over the bread and the wine, and this is in and through the priest, it is Jesus Christ truly acting by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he really changes bread and wine into his own body, blood, soul, and divinity. And he gives it to us under the appearance of bread and wine, but it's really him, flesh and blood. And throughout history, there have been miracles. Yeah, Eucharistic miracles. We've where, witnessed them. Right, where, where the, the flesh and where the, the bread and wine change into flesh and blood in yeah. the hands of the priest. Yeah. And there's Lanciano. We went to Lanciano, Italy, Italy, where there is one. And and this happened, you know, fifteen hundred years ago or more. Yeah. More more than fifteen hundred years ago. And it's still there. And so God is God and we are not. And yes, he is all powerful. And so Jesus is telling him they have to eat his flesh and blood. And, and then he, he assures us that eating his flesh and blood is going to give us eternal life, that this is the pledge of eternal life. And it, there's so much here. This is just John 6, 52 through 59, but there's the whole chapter that comes before that. I would recommend that the whole um, chapter of John 6, the complete chapter, reading that so you right. get the context. One thing, Mary, you mentioned about Eucharistic miracles. I know that if you just Google Eucharistic miracles on YouTube, mm-hmm. There's one in in, um, South America in 1996. There's all kinds of them. But here's the beauty of all this, Mary, that right here we have in our church the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. I had the blessing to be there this morning and make my visit. And I thought of that just uh, reading the the gospel. I said, thank you. What a great gift our church has given us, you know, the Eucharist. Right. And Mm -hmm. so spend time before our Eucharistic king you know, the world right now is in terrible, you know, tragedy of, cons- they're, they're confused about the meaning and purpose of life. Bring solace by visits to the Blessed Sacrament in your life. Pray your rosary before the Blessed Sacrament. There's indulgences guaranteed for you praying that before the Blessed Sacrament. Absolutely. And and the deal is, is Jesus is really there. Yeah. And it's not because the church teaches it. The church teaches it because it's true. Yes. <laughs> the church doesn't just make up teachings. Nope. The Catholic church doesn't make up teachings, doesn't pull them out of thin air. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was, no, there was no question about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist until the 10 hundreds when the archpriest Berengarius falsely taught and he was corrected by the church and he mm-hmm. recanted. And then until the, the Protestant Reformation, all Christians... That the East and the West of the Catholic Church believed. And, and this is because it came from God. Yeah. It came from Jesus Christ through the apostles. This is the constant teaching of the church. Jesus is really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and the appearance of bread and wine in the Eucharist. We're going to come back and answer the questions from the Terry and Jesse show about translations of the Bible. Stay with us. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. We're in John 6. We're talking about the Jesus and what he talks about in John 6. He calls himself the bread of life, the living bread that came down from heaven. And in, in Terry mentioned that at the end of the Terry and Jesse show, they had a caller that called in that asked about translations of the Bible. And we have four Catholic translations. We have the, um, the New Revised Standard Edition, Catholic, Catholic Edition, New Revised Standard Catholic Edition, we have the American, New American, the New Jerusalem, and uh, the Douay Reims. And there's, there's one other, um, I can't remember if it's a good news Bible or something. It is approved for use, but it's not, you know, so it is. Um, and then he said, well, can't we use any one of those translations at the Mass? And no, the, the church only uses the New American Bible at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. That's the only translation that's used in the sacred liturgy. And as it, as it turns out, you know, translations are translations and, um, they're not guaranteed to be free of error. The original texts are free of error. And so we have to constantly look at the translations and weigh them against the original text and see if there are problems. And yes, there have been problems found in the New American that had to be corrected by the church. And so um, hopefully it's a much better translation. I usually use the new, the, the Revised Standard Catholic Edition. I think it's it's a much better translation. And the Douay Reims is wonderful. I'm I'm not real adept at, at reading the old English. <laughs> so I, I find it confusing. The old, just because learning, it's like learning a new language to some extent, but which is not a problem. I mean, some people are very adept at that. So that's not a problem. It's, it's a beautiful translation. So that was just that question. So we're, we're um, looking at John six and what Jesus says in John six. And he says, he tells the people they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And, um, he says that his flesh is real food and his blood is real drink. Thomas Aquinas had a commentary on that. And he says, the word of God gives life to our souls. The word capital W, that is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. He gives life to our souls. But the word made flesh gives life, nourishes our bodies. Nourishes our bodies. The word made flesh nourishes our bodies. In this sacrament is contained the word, that is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, not only in his divinity, but also in his humanity. Therefore, it is the cause not only of the glorification of our souls, but also of our bodies. So when we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, we receive the whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, living, risen, glorified in his risen, ascended, glorified state. Okay? And he nourishes not only our souls, but our bodies. And he is glorifying us. It is he who makes us holy. We don't make ourselves holy by our efforts. We beg God for the gift of holiness. And we beg God for the gift to be worthy. We beg God for the gift of final perseverance. That we will allow God to work in and through us to accomplish all it is that he desires to accomplish. For the praise of the glory of his name. That his kingdom would come and his will be done. And, and it's interesting because, well, he must have meant this symbolically or whatever. Well, it, it, in the, Jesus says, whoever eats the flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. Mm-hmm. And the word that he's ewing, using here for eating is chewing on. He's referring to real food. His flesh is real food. It's not a symbol. Okay? It, it's not just some kind of a... Is it a great mystery? Yeah, it's, it's a great mystery. 
But in that Bible reading of John 6, doesn't it also point out that many of them said it's a hard saying, right? And many left him. Many left at that time. Exactly. Many of his disciples left him. And when they, when they leave him, mm-hmm. he doesn't say, wait a minute, come back. I meant this only symbolically. Yeah. He turns to the 12 and he mm-hmm. said, will you also leave me? He's not stopping him. He's not explaining. He's not recanting. Right. If he was just speaking symbolically, he would have had an obligation at that point to explain to them this is only a symbol. Instead, he says, will you also leave me? And as Peter speaks up to say, Lord, to whom shall we go? Yeah, you have, you have the words, words of eternal life. <laughs> but we go on here, and it, it, it's so beautiful. You know, we have, we have the teachings of the church. We have the, the writings of the popes. We have the writings of the saints. So Jesus is inviting us. He's promising us. He tells us that if we don't eat his flesh and blood, we're not going to have life in us because he is the source of our life. And he gives himself to us. And there's an interesting connection here. And Father pointed out in the sermon this morning at Mass, mm-hmm. there's a priest from um, Jordan, I believe he is, out at St. Joseph's in, um, in Pomona. And he says Mass, he says the Latin rite Mass in Arabic on Sunday, I believe Saturday evenings. And anyway, he, he does. There's one Mass they have once a week that's in Arabic, but it's, it's the Latin rite. But anyway, Father was explaining. He said, you know, earlier in the chapter here, the people come. Remember, the beginning of this chapter is the miracle of the feeding of the people, 5,000 people with, with five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus goes to a synagogue in Capernaum, and the people come, and they say, Lord, how did you get here? And he said, you're not looking for me because you've seen signs and wonders. You're looking for me because you've eaten your fill of the loaves. And he said, well, the people say, well, Moses gave our ancestors manna to eat in the desert. What can you do? What sign can you do? ironic isn't it again the the irony of it all here they are they've just been fed on five loaves and two fish they've seen this and they've seen this miracle and they want to carry him off to be king because of the miracle but when he challenges them they're like well what miracle are you going to do to prove who you are (laughs) and he's and and they say our fathers ate manna in the desert and he said well it was not moses who gave your fathers the manna Mm -hmm. so right away jesus is is showing that there's a connection between what he's doing here in John 6 mm-hmm. and the manna in the Old Testament. Yeah, tying it in. And there's what we call a typology. Type, okay? Types of Christ. So the, the manna was a type of the Eucharist that mm-hmm. would come. God fed the people in the Old Testament on this food. And this food is what? It's miraculous. It's, it's, not, it's not natural. The people see it on the ground and they say, what is it? It's a miracle. And Moses says, this is the bread that God has given you, and you are to collect it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting, all the miracles that are worked in, in connection with the manna, for 40 years, it's there. When they enter the promised land, they no longer need it. And so they no longer see it. And some of the manna is gathered up, and it's kept in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the people, when they gathered the hoarfrost, what looks like hoarfrost from the desert floor, and make the bread out of it, they have to make it into bread. It's, it's, it's like a flour, and they have to collect it and make it into bread. They, they're only supposed to collect enough for the day, for that day. It's, it's bread for the day. They're only supposed to collect as much as they need to eat, not more. And when people tried to collect more and store it, it would turn moldy and it would, it would disintegrate and be destroyed. And yet God has Moses collect some of the manna and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And it doesn't mold and it's not destroyed. It's kept there. 
as a sign of God's love for his people. So the manna is a prefigurement of Christ feeding the people with his own flesh and blood. And Christ feeding the people with his own flesh and blood is a greater miracle than God raining down manna and Moses instructing the people how to use it. Also, Moses was a type of Christ. He worked miracles. He brought the law. God gives the law through Moses. And yet Jesus fulfills that Moses said that after I'm dead, God will raise up a prophet mightier than I. And he was the, he's the one. And this is Jesus. Jesus is fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus, of course, is far greater than Moses because he's not just a man. He's God. And he's not a human person. He's a divine person who has taken to himself a human nature. He has two natures, divine and human. One person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And he becomes man and he's going to feed us. And that was the manna in the Old Testament was a prefigurement of Christ feeding us in the Eucharist on his own flesh and blood. So we have that parallel that, that it's miraculous. We have the parallel that it's a sign of God's providence for his people. He loves his people. He wants to take care of his people. You have to have trust in God. You're not supposed to gather, try and gather enough for, for two or three days or enough to store up in case there's a rainy day. You, you take The only one day you're allowed is the day before the Sabbath. You're allowed to gather enough for, for that day and for the Sabbath. But all the other days, you just gather enough for the day. Trusting in God's providence, and we're called to do this, to trust in God's providence. The people would have starved to death if God hadn't fed them. The manna in the morning, the, the, the hoarfrost, what looked like hoarfrost that they gathered up and baked into bread, and, and in the evening, the quail that came up. And so there are all these parallels, and we have to have faith in God and trust in him that he's going to provide for us. Well, that's interesting. The Eucharist, if the manna is a prefigurement of the Eucharist, then how often should we be receiving the Eucharist? And the Our Father gives us a hint. Give us this day our daily bread. Only daily there doesn't just mean daily. It means super substantial. Our bread that is beyond nature. That bread that will nourish not only our bodies but our souls. And so, again, that the Our Father is pointing to the reality of the Eucharist being meant to be daily bread for Christians. And in the early church, the Christians met daily in their homes for the breaking of the bread, which was a code word for the Eucharist, for receiving Jesus in Holy Communion. But do we long for this food or do we just want God? And, and again, we have to examine ourselves. Are we like these people who they saw the miracle of Jesus feeding them on the loaves and the fishes? And then so they follow him to Capernaum. And when they get there, they're like, you know, OK, um, what can you do to make us believe in you? <laughs> what do you mean? What more do I need to do? I just fed five that you witnessed the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. And you've also witnessed his other miracles. And do we do the same thing to God? Or each of us needs to ask ourselves this. You know, it's like, well, God, you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. What? Yeah, <laughs> I wanted it this way. <laughs> Aren't cute. you going to do it this way? And, and, and God's ways are not our ways, no. and his thoughts are not our thoughts. No. You know, I, was it uh, the prophet Isaiah, as far as the heavens are above the earth, are his ways above our ways, and his thoughts above our thoughts. God is God, and we are not. 
And again, like Ananias in the first reading there, but Lord, don't you know who this Saul of Tarsus is? Don't you know what he's doing? You know, and, and it's kind of like the, the, you know, the apostles on the road to Amos mm-hmm. on Easter Sunday, you know, you know, when Jesus comes to talk to him and says, what are these things you're discussing? And they're saying, are you the only resident of Jerusalem who doesn't know what went on these last days? And it's like, actually, no, he's the only resident of Jerusalem who actually knows what went on because he's the one to whom it happened. And he is the Christ who was crucified and risen from the dead. And yet we don't recognize the word of God and we don't recognize his working in our life. And, And do we long to be with our Lord? Like Terry said, do we make take time to make visits to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament? Well, I think that living in the presence of God is the key to having peace of soul. Amen. Because, you know, the world right now is acting like God doesn't exist. And you, you know what I see right now? A big word, fear. Amen. Tremendous amount of fear yeah. that's going on. They're fearful to say a word because of what will happen. They're fearful to leave their home because of COVID-19. And I would just say this. Put your trust not in the Put your trust in Right. We don't trust in science. We don't trust in the government. We trust in God. We trust especially in Jesus Christ. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, April 23rd, Friday of the third week of Easter. You know, Mary, when we're talking about the Eucharist, I recommend to everybody Father Paul O'Sullivan, O.P., his little book, The Wonders of the Mass. Mm-hmm. It's printed by Tan. And I got to re- tell you, 40 years ago, yeah. as a teenager, I read this book. Yeah. And I think if every Catholic read this book, they would be like, what? That's when I was 14 years old and I started going to daily Mass. Right, right. Here's what they said about the Mass. By one mass which we hear in the state of grace, we give God more pleasure and obtain for ourselves more benefits and favors than by the longest and most painful pilgrimages. Amen. You see, when I, I try to tell people this, don't go to this apparition. Go, go here, go there. We have the Eucharist. You've been right. talking about John 6. Right. It's a great treasure. And I realize some churches are not open right now. And it's a tragedy, in my humble opinion, that they're closing the doors because of fear of COVID-19. Here at the Sacred Heart Chapel, our doors are open. We ask you last night to come and pray for priests every Thursday night from 7 to 9 before the Blessed Sacrament. And it's just, we just, we have this treasure. We can't hide it. We have to show it off right. in the sense of telling people to come visit Jesus. Right. I remember Father... Uh, Ken Roberts years oh, ago yeah. on Mother Angelica, and he he said, you know, when I w- he was a boy growing up in England, he loved the Feast of Corpus Christi. He said it was the proud to be Catholic day. Yeah, you know, we took Jesus out into the streets, and we they they you know they processed with with great great reverence and honor gave to to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And he said, and every time, and when the priest would pass by, you knew the Catholics because they would all kneel. Then right there in the streets, they would kneel before Jesus because this is awesome. God. Can you picture that? Yeah. Isn't that just awesome? It's beautiful. We need to bring that back. We know June's coming up, Corpus Christi. Right. We need to bring we, Let's ask our back. pastor to see if yeah. we could do a, a Eucharistic procession. Amen. We need to bring Jesus to the streets right. to bless our, our she, homes. My wife motivates me, can you tell? 
And also, you know, Padre Pio once said, he said, the world would exist oh, yeah. more easily without the sun than without the holy sacrifice of the mass. Oh, yeah. How is this possible? Because the holy sacrifice of the mass is Christ's own sacrifice. That's right. And it doesn't stop at Calvary, just like Calvary's not the end of the story. No. It's his entire Paschal mystery where yeah. he offers himself in all of his sufferings throughout his passion on Calvary, gives his life, but he, he's buried, he rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven, and he's still with his church, mm-hmm. present, really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearance of bread and wine. He remains with us. You know, when you mentioned that quote from Padre Peel, I didn't know that uh, it was very similar to what St. Timothy of Jerusalem said. The world would have been destroyed long ago because of the sins of men had it not been for the Mass. Right, because what it is is, and 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 How does that work? I I remember, yeah. you know, when I was nineteen, I had an appendicitis that yeah. wasn't diagnosed, and I ended up in a hospital room for twenty nine days, <laughs> and um, uh, I had several roommates, but one of the roommates that I had, and she said, "Why do you was a she actually was the mother of a, a Lutheran minister, and she said, why do you Catholics still have Jesus on the cross?" And at the time, I don't remember what I said to her, but I was thinking, well, you know, now I know. You know, have you read the Book of Revelation? Chapter five, the lamb is there in heaven, but he still bears his scars. Yes, he's, he's ascended and risen. That's true. But he still bears his scars. And in one of the Easter prefaces that the preface is the prayer that said, um, bef- uh, you know, between the offertory and the beginning of the, the, con- the Eucharistic prayer, yeah. just before the Holy Holy. And it says, and this is a paraphrase, but the victim who immolated himself, Christ, who immolated himself, is no longer dying, but he lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. Mm. (gasps) Whoa. For all eternity, he lives that act of immolated love. And so we have the crucifixes so that we don't forget what he has done. Yes. And even in heaven, he still bears his scars. Absolutely. Okay, we've got Scott on. From San Clemente, and about the translation of the Bible. Scott, welcome. You're on with my faithful bride, Mary Danielle. Welcome, Scott. Hi there. Hi. Hi there. Uh, I like the answer you had before. I just had a follow-up on the on the question that, or the answer you had to the translation. I took your uh, I took Terry's suggestion to listen in and uh, what you had to say. And so, when my question is on that is, I know that they had four or five different translations are out there, probably more than that now. But it, it is the, the I guess to say that the trusting of how they're going to translate new Bibles. I mean, because I grew up as a convert with the King James Version. Now, my grandfather was adamant that, you know, you don't get too far away because modern times people want to, uh, you know, put their politics in there or their social constructs in the Bible that will fit their narrative or make people come to their narrative of what they think should be in the Bible. Um, I know that, you know, the church, you have to trust the church, you know, the gates of hell won't prevail against it, but even with today's modernists that are in the church, they tend to think they want to twist things, and that's what I have a hard time with new translations. And it startled me when they just went down to one version uh, during Mass, because there used to be, if you didn't have a New American Bible, but if you had a, when I, at least what I was told, you could use the, the Dewey Reigns, or you could use a New Jerusalem Bible, which I don't know if it's in print anymore, but mm-hmm. instead of the, the, the New American Bible, because they found faults in there. I mean, 
one of the things is that, like you're doing right now, the Gospel of John chapter 6, well, if you if you go around looking through these new modern Bibles, it, it even kind of twists that whole part of the Bible up to fit, you know, Fair especially enough. you have a Protestant Bible. Mm-hmm, sure. You understand, and that's that's kind of my question right there. Yeah. Right, and and the reality is, is it, we have we do have this trouble with translations, and that's true. And and um, you know, I I can't answer right offhand why the church chose the New American as the translation that would be used in English for the for the liturgy. Okay, that's the English trans in the English, but but I do know there are approved, like I said, the approved, and I I personally use the Revised Standard Catholic Edition. Yeah, that's the best. And right. the deal is this is, um, we do have the difficulty, and what we what what's happened is we have some young Catholic Scripture scholars, I mean, just outstanding men, Scott Hahn, Brant Petrie, John Bergman's, uh, oh. Doctor M- Michael Barber. Um, I'm. Some of the names are escaping me right now, but they're Jeff just Cavins. Jeff Jeff Cavins, um, and these men have studied the Greek and the Hebrew, and they went back and they did the um, that they're the ones who have worked on the, the you know the, the, they like the Scott Hahn the Ignatius Bible Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch got together and they did a commentary and they used the Revised Standard Catholic Edition. Are you outside? Okay. I'm sorry. Yes, you, I am. Okay, because yeah, I'm getting I'm getting a lot of wind there. I'm sorry. So they, they yeah. use the revised, and the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, and they use the Revised Standard Catholic that's Edition. That's what the catechism uses. And that's what the catechism uses. So and what, we, what we can always do is we can always take the, the translations and kind of look at, you know, like, okay, look at what you heard at Mass, and then go and, and weigh it against the Douay Reims or the Revised Standard Catholic Edition. And why, I mean, you can use the Douay Reims for reading. That's not a problem. We can use the Revised Standard Catholic Edition for reading and for study. Those are great. Um, but but the church has one approved translation that she uses for the, the liturgy, and I actually will have to do some... I did a little research on that, and that, uh, Scott, was that uh, the the New American Bible was written so broad that it, they wanted to reach, you know, educated people, uneducated people. It wasn't as precise as the Revised Standard Version. Okay. That's what I heard. Now, we have a biblical studies conference that we put on for 15, 18 years with Dr. Scott on, Dr. Petrie, Dr. Barber. And Scott, what I would recommend is you call our office at 877-526-215 and talk to Anthony and he'll get you some MP3s of that Bible conferences over the years because they, they hit different themes. And you'll actually be able to hear some of the best young scholars who are faithful to the church. Right. And uh, I think you'd be inspired just based on what I'm hearing from you, Scott. Yeah, you'll find it yeah. inspirational. Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, Thanks, I, I'll uh, definitely do that. Thank you, you so much. I do appreciate your guys' Hey, brother. God love you. Take Thank care. you for calling in. Appreciate Thank the call. Good man. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Awesome. Yeah, and it, it is. It's, it's a question. And, and again, again, the church, in regards to in, um, the inerrancy mm-hmm. oh, and, of Scripture and the inspiration, it's the original texts that are inerrant and inspired. What was the, the saying? If you have a misunderstanding on the Scripture, there's a couple of churches talking. St. Augustine. St. Augustine said, you know, he said, if you think there's a contradiction or an error in the Scriptures. That's right. There are three possibilities here. You might have a bad translation. Yep. You might have a bad copy because the copies aren't guaranteed to be inerrant. Right. Or there might be something that we don't understand. 
So always, always we approach scripture with an attitude of faith and humility. Amen. This is a great, God is revealing to us great mysteries. It's like this John 6, you know, this idea that, that God would feed us on his own flesh. And that God, first of all, that God would become man, the incarnation, yeah. right? right? Wow. What a mystery. And, and, and that God is a Trinity of persons and that, and that, but, but in becoming man, the second person of the blessed Trinity, that he would then feed us on his own flesh and blood. And of course, this was prefigured in the Old Testament when he fed his people for 40 years on the manna in the desert. And once they entered the promised land, they weren't going to need it anymore. So there are great mysteries in our faith and we need faith. Okay. I don't need faith to know that God exists. When people challenge the idea that there is a God, you don't even need faith. The light of your natural reason can come to the knowledge the sure knowledge that there has to be a God because order doesn't come out of chaos. That's right. Something doesn't come from nothing. Yep. You know, um, beauty doesn't come out of ugliness. There has to be a source of order. There has to be an, a, an intelligent design, a designer behind the design. Okay. And so that God exists is not an article of faith. Now that God is a Trinity of persons. That's an article of faith mm-hmm. that that the second person of the blessed Trinity became man. That's an article of faith right. that the second person of the blessed Trinity became man and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. The resurrection, that's an article of faith, but it's also a historical fact that can be backed up and and that that he would feed us on his own flesh and blood. And so if you don't believe these things, you find it difficult. Faith is a gift. If you want it, ask God for it. Ask God for more faith every day. That's the key in life. That's how you're going to have peace. Again, ask Jesus Christ to have that personal relationship. And there's nothing more personal than having his body, blood, soul, and divinity each day in Holy Mass. What a great treasure. Mary, this is 50 years this year. I'm going to daily Mass. I can't believe it. Praise God. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Wow, Mary Danielle Barber. This is the last thing. I thought we just started. We did. When you talk about the Eucharist, you can talk all day, all night about the source and summit of the Christian life. Right. And you're covering John 6. And the recommendation I think you made earlier is that we should read the, the entire chapter. Right. Read the entire chapter. And I, I read a good commentary. Go If you can, get the Navarre commentary. Go online mm-hmm. and see if you can get the Navarre commentary online and, and the Gospel of John and, and read the commentary on chapter 6. It's quite extensive. Mm-hmm. Or you can just, if you want a shorter commentary, you can go to um, you know, the Ignatius Catholic Study right. Bible by Scott Hahn. They have the commentaries by Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch. And the reality is, is the mysteries of our faith, we should be meditating on them every day. Mm. Do we long to be with Jesus? Are we praying every day that God's name be glorified and his kingdom come and his will be done? Are we asking him every day to come to us in Holy Communion, to come to us and to unite us to himself? Do we desire to be united to Christ in time? Because if we don't desire this in time, how are we going to want it for all eternity? Mother Angelica used to have a saying. She said, you know what, honey, this is Death isn't going to change your will. It's going to solidify it. What did she mean by that? Because that's a powerful statement. Go ahead. That, that if you spend your life turning away from God, exactly, you aren't suddenly going to turn to God at the Doesn't moment of your death. death. Nope. 
And Terry had a horribly frightening experience of this once when when a friend of his, Leonard, was in the hospital. Oh, the man that yes at Queen of the Valley. Yeah, and this there was a man that Leonard was in a room with another man, yeah, and the ma- other man was room. dying. Yeah, and he was cursing God, and it, Terry was just I Leonard was, was frightened. He was, he was putting his hand up at God and saying, "I." Blank, you know, and, and he just, it was, not only was Terry, but mm-hmm. Leonard, poor Leonard. Leonard was a World War II veteran. You know, yeah. this guy is tough, a tough man, you know, but he's, he's old and he, he loved God. He, he whatever did. he loved God and he wanted to love God. And boy, it just, it was shook him yeah. to see this. And this, it, it, you know, yeah, there are people who have been snatched from hell's door at the moment of death because That's someone right. was praying and sacrificing yep. for them. But we, we all need to pray and sacrifice for ourselves. And, you know, often I have people say, you know, they, they say, well, will you pray for me? We pray for me. And I'm thinking, yeah, I will pray for you. But you know what, honey? You have to pray for yourself. Yes. You need to get down on your knees. And you need to make sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that every day you take time to spend with him and that you make a conscious effort to do everything you do in union with him. You know, Jesus in the Eucharist, you can invite him to come into your soul. Amen. A hundred times daily. Yes. Make a spiritual communion. You know, every 15 minutes, St. Maximian Colby made a spiritual communion. And he made a holy hour before the Blessed Sacrament. And wow. he went to communion every day. Wow. And we need to be spending time with our Lord. If we don't spend any time with God on earth, how are we possibly going to want to be with him for eternity? I remember my brother had this analogy about the sun. He said, what if you just lived in a cave? Hmm. But somebody, okay, there, there had been this, you know, the, but somebody told you, you know, someday this cave is going to collapse. So you're going to have to live outside in the sunshine. So every day you should go out and spend some time getting ready to get out there and be in the sunshine because it's, it's not going to last forever. The mountain's going to collapse. It's, it's, it's crumbling. And um, so some people in the cave listen and they go out every day and they start getting used to the sun a little bit at a time. And they, they get to the point where, you know, they like being out in the sun. They, they like the light. And they and but there are people who say, no, no, I like my darkness. I don't want to be in the light. I don't want to stay. Blah, blah, blah. And then one day that there's an earthquake and the, and the mountain is starting to crumble. And all the people start running out of the cave and the people who have been exposing themselves to the sun are they're Well, there's not a problem. But the people who don't get crushed by the mountain crumbling because they had loved their darkness and were sitting there but are trying to get out and they get out into the sun and it's blinding and they're burning. It's not pleasant. <laughs> and, and this is, like, do we spend time with God? Yeah. You know, practice the presence of God. Remember that God is present to us all the time. And throughout the scriptures. And Jesus is, when he, you know, when he feeds the 5,000 people, he's not feeding them because he's a bread king. He wants to open their eyes to the fact that he wants to feed them spiritually with himself. He wants to open our eyes to the fact that he wants to feed us with himself, not just spiritually, but physically, but to feed our souls and our bodies because it is his presence in us that makes us holy. It is his presence in us that is going to prepare us to be in heaven. And you know what? Mm. It doesn't matter what sins we've committed. Humble ourselves before the Lord and ask for mercy. And by the way, if you're not in the state of mortal sin, you can ask the Lord to wipe away your venial sins when you receive Jesus in Holy Communion. This is Jesus. Church teaching. That's not Mary's teaching. No, it's not mine. Jesus, please wipe away all my venial sins. Mm -hmm. If you're in the state of mortal sin, don't go to Holy Communion. If you are conscious of having committed a grave moral evil, don't go to Holy Communion. Go to confession first. 
Okay, and no matter what the sin is, look at Dr. Bernard Nathanson. He was responsible for 75,000 abortions. He had committed 75,000 murders. Himself personally. Himself personally. And you know what? He turned himself over to the mercy of God, and he found God's mercy. I have a song that Bishop Sheen taught me years ago. In hell, there's a song they sing, I did it my way. See, and that's the world right now. I'm doing it my way. I'm doing it my way. And in heaven, they have a song. How do they sing it? I did it his way. Exactly. That's all we're saying. It's as simple as that. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ, especially in the Holy Eucharist through Our Lady. Amen. It's it's a great approach to life. Our Lady loved her son. Yes. And, And by the way, he was a faithful son who kept the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment, Honor thy father and thy mother. Most perfect. The Hebrew word for honor, it means bestow glory upon. The Hebrew word that we translate yeah. honor, excuse me. We translate it honor. The Hebrew word, kabbalah, means bestow glory upon. Wow. Bestow glory. And he does bestow glory upon his mother. Mm-hmm. He loves her and he bestows glory upon her. We can't possibly honor Mary as much as Jesus did. And, that t- and she's not a, she's not a goddess. No, we don't no. worship Mary. That title, Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament, pray yes. for us. Yes. And I want to just confess. Think about that. She was the first tabernacle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was one of the things Father mentioned in his, his sermon this morning. He said, do you realize when you receive Jesus in Holy Communion, you are a living tabernacle. Exactly. You are a living temple of the Almighty yes. God. He said, when you come up for Holy Communion, you should be as a bride who is coming to greet her groom. Oh, that's beautiful. And, 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 and just as mm-hmm. Jesus is fully giving himself to us in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, so we too should be fully giving ourselves to him. And yes, with our faults and our failings and our sins and asking him to free us from all attachment to sin and from all the things of this world so that we can have him as he is our all in all. Mm-hmm. That's what we're called to heaven where God is all in all. You know, God is what we're seeking. God is who we're seeking. It's not a what. It's, it's who. Yeah. It's, it's a trinity. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the original family. We're seeking union with God, and God makes that possible through the Holy Eucharist. And yes, this is the church's teaching from the beginning. If you go back and read the fathers of the church, yes, they believed that Jesus Christ really gave himself body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine in the Eucharist as food for body and soul. And you know, the beautiful thought about that is for 1,500 years, there were exceptions, very few, but the church understood the Eucharist to be the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It really has been kind of late in Christendom where people decided in the 15th century that it was just a symbol. Right. And so one of the things that I noticed, Mary, about converts, whether it was Scott Hahn or Tim Staples, when they looked at the fathers of the church on that topic on the Holy Eucharist, they were blown away like other topics that the early church taught the real presence. Right. And that's not what they were being taught in their Protestant church. Exactly. And they had to reconcile that. Ken Hensley was on our show earlier today with Gary. Yeah. Pointing out that, you know, I had to recognize that 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 didn't square with the Bible. Exactly, exactly. And that's it. It's just, we're, not, we're not trying to invent something new. We only want to pass on the sacred deposit of faith that Jesus Christ gave. And this is the responsibility of the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. In all of her rights, all of her 23 rights, I believe it is now, in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. that to pass on that sacred deposit that Jesus has given. The Church isn't inventing new things. No. 
And the church can't change what Jesus gave. No. We can't change the language of the catechism to, to accommodate to, to someone's feelings. And by the way, our feelings don't necessarily authentically represent our, the facts. Right. You know, you get up some mornings and you feel so lousy and so miserable and so sinful. And it's like, I'm not worthy of God. I can't see him. I can't pray. That's not true. No, we're not worthy. But you know what? That's, it's not true that you can't pray. You say, God, I need your help. Yep. Pray and beg him to help you. And it, it, if we only went by the way we felt, <laughs> oh, no. you know, feelings are real, but they don't authentically represent reality. Yeah. We have to learn to weigh our feelings against reality. And what is the reality? God loves us so much, so very much. And it's interesting, you know, Father pointed out in his sermon this morning, you know, he was, I was talking earlier about the parallels between mm -hmm. the manna and, and, and the Eucharist. There was a miracle regarding the manna, besides the miracle of the manna, which was a miracle in and of itself. But God told Moses and Aaron to gather up some of the manna and keep it in the Ark of the Covenant. And yet when the Israelites gathered up, if they gathered up more than they needed for the day, it would mold. And yet what was gathered up and kept in the Ark of the Covenant never corrupted. It never corrupted, and it was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And Father was saying in his sermon this morning that once a year, the priest would take the, this, this container, this golden container that contained the manna, mm -hmm. and it would say to the people, behold, the, the sign of God's love for you. Don't forget, he fed you for 40 years mm -hmm. with manna in the desert. And here, we have the manna still, that God miraculously kept that manna yeah. fresh in the covenant, in the Ark of the Covenant, so that the people wouldn't forget. That's why we have the crucifix. So we don't forget. Just like in the Old Testament, they had the staff of, of, of um, Aaron and the um, tablets of the Ten Commandments and the manna in the Ark of the Covenant, so they wouldn't forget. Well said. So we have the crucifix, so we don't forget what Christ did for us, the price that he paid. It's interesting that you just said that because in the rubrics of the church, a crucifix must be present when Mass is celebrated. That's right. At the very point you made. Exactly. And even though we believe as Catholics, Christ is offering himself in an unbloody manner in his risen, ascended, glorified state, nonetheless, we're never to forget what it cost him. Sign me up, young lady. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I'd love it. Mary, this, the Eucharist, we could talk all day long. And again, just to review, Jesus Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and the appearance of bread and wine. Read the entire chapter of John 6 so you get the context of it all. Amen. And we'll be back again next week. And matter of fact, uh, you can actually listen to all the podcasts by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org on any of the shows here yeah. at Virgin and Most Powerful Radio. And I want to thank you for all your donations. We have a men's conference coming up in June with Jesse. We also have an evangelization conference coming up May 14th how to share your faith it's free go to our website look under events flyers are all there and i hope you can join us because we have one purpose here at virgin most powerful radio to share the gospel the good news of jesus christ and his pride the church because we want to see everybody in heaven amen may god richly bless you and your family god willing we'll see you